Whenever I, I, that caught my attention, I said, I got to look at this lady. Now, she is, I mean, she's a, a lady. She looks like a lady, but, man, she is enormous. I mean, she's a professional bodybuilder. Um, if you're into bodybuilding, you would look at her and be very impressed with Colette Nelson. But as, as incredible shape as she is in, as huge as she is, she had something really interesting to say about whenever she goes out and, I, I don't know what you call it, perform or whatever they do, you know, whenever they're flexing and stuff. So here's what she had to say about the day uh, that, she is, that she is performing. She said, on the day you perform, she said, you're the most unhealthy the day of that show. She said, you're dehydrated, you've eaten limited food, you've been overtrained, you're taking some type of diuretic, whether it be natural or not, and on the day of the show, I've got to tell you, you might look like perfection, but inside, you're just, you're barely hanging on. And I, which I totally identify that. I know exactly what she's talking about. But uh, that's not just simply true in bodybuilding. That is true pretty much in every area of life. That there are so many people that I see, and on the outside, man, it looks so good. I know so many people, and, and they have everything that you could want. They have the car, they have the house, they have the job, they have the family. Everything looks perfect, but as you get to know them, you know that on the inside, they are just barely hanging on. And there are so many of us, we, we are striving after all this stuff, all these things that we think will bring satisfaction into our lives, but at the end of the day, what we discover is all the stuff of this world, it, it does not fill us up. It doesn't satisfy. And there are so many people who feel like that in life, there is a lot of, there are a lot of things that are missing. So today in our passage of Scripture, we're going to see a story about Jesus' Jesus's disciples, and we're going to see that they are, they're just regular people. I mean, they're just like you and me, that they had a desire to do well, they had a desire to be satisfied, and yet they were looking for satisfaction in the wrong places. And so in our text today, we're going to see Jesus share with them how to live a life that is good, how to live a life that will bring satisfaction to you. And so uh, for them to be able to get to that place, and oftentimes for us to be able to get to that place where we are living a life well lived, there are some, some phases that we have to kind of travel through before we actually get there. And so that's what we're going to see today in our text in Matthew 20 and verses 20 through 28. And uh, the background of this text is, is Jesus was traveling on a road heading to Jerusalem, and the road was jam-packed with people. And the reason why is because they were getting ready to celebrate the Passover. And so there's just throngs of people traveling on this road, going up to Jerusalem. And as they were doing that, Jesus took his disciples and he pulled them over to the side and he shared something with them. And it was major news. Jesus told them, we are heading to Jerusalem and I want you to know, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be hung on a cross. I'm going to die. But after three days, I'm going to rise from the grave. Now, as you can imagine, when the disciples heard this, they were, they were having a difficult time getting their head around that message because that was not what they were envisioning for Jesus. Uh, they saw Jesus as getting ready to set up a new kingdom in Israel. He was going to give them freedom. He was going to be the ruler. And, of course, the disciples, being, being regular people, they were thinking, this will be great, 
because we're hanging out with Jesus, so that means we're going to get to rule with him. We're going to be very important people. And then Jesus drops this bomb on them. And so they were, they were a little bit confused here. And just like you and just like me, they, they, wanted, they wanted their lives to matter. They wanted to achieve things in life to make a difference. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with us having a desire for our lives to matter. But Jesus wanted to teach them that if you want your life to be significant, if you want your life to count the most, he says your life will count the most as you live a life of service. And that's what it means to be great. But before they got there, there was a few phases they had to travel through before they understood Jesus' message. And the very first thing I see, the first phase they had to travel through is, first of all, they, they just simply, they were missing the big picture. They, they didn't see the thing, they didn't see the world the way that Jesus did. They were just like, they were just like me. And if you look in verses 20 and 21, it says, then the mother of Zebedee's sons approached Jesus with her sons, and she knelt down to ask him for something. What do you want, he asked her. Promise, she said to him, that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and the other on your left, in your kingdom. Now this is, this is the timing of this whole thing is really strange to me. Because in the previous verses... I've shared with you what Jesus had just told his disciples. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, listen, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, which was Jesus, will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified, and he will be resurrected on the third day. Okay, so that's what Jesus has just said. So right after Jesus says this, what happens? James and John's mother comes up to Jesus. So Jesus says, I'm getting ready to die. And she says, hey, when you establish your kingdom, make sure that my boys, one sitting on your left and one sitting on your right. The timing's off here. That's strange. You know, it'd be like, you know, like going to, a, going to a funeral. And then after the funeral is over, you go up to the funeral party and say, hey, y'all, you guys want to go bowling? I mean, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't fit together. Jesus says, I'm getting ready to die. And then the lady comes up and says, Jesus, I want you to take care of my boys. I want them to be able to sit on your left and on your right when you're ruling. Now you might say, well, what's the big deal with that? What's the big deal of her asking for her sons to sit on her left and the right of Jesus? Well, those were primary places of importance for one who would rule. Whoever was on the immediate left and the right of a king were considered to be the most important people, advisors, rulers with the king. They were places of prominence. And so what this lady was asking is she was saying, Jesus, I want you to make sure that when you're ruling, that my boys are considered the most important of all your disciples. Now that sounds like, that sounds like a mother, doesn't it? That's what moms do. But the boys had set their mom up to make sure that she was the one who asked Jesus that. They, they were, they were self-seeking, self-serving in their purpose. They were saying, Jesus, we want you to recognize us as being important. Because if you do that, then Jesus, that means that our lives matter, that our lives make a difference. 
Something else that is interesting to me about this passage of Scripture is that Jesus' relationship with James and John was, was unique. It wasn't just that they were disciples of Jesus, but I never knew this until I was looking at the Scripture and I did some study on it. James and John were the first cousins of Jesus. I never knew that. And so what they were doing is they were saying, Jesus, you know, whenever you rule, make sure you take care of family. You know, make sure that you keep the power in the family. You owe that to us. So, so what was wrong with this? Well, they were missing the big picture. Because, you see, Jesus said the big picture in life isn't for you to be self-serving, for you to be uh, ambitious just for yourself. Jesus said, I want to teach you a lesson. He said, I want you to know that the reason why we are here is because I want us to change humanity. I want us to change the course of history. I want your thinking to move beyond yourselves, to move to something that is bigger than you can ever dream or imagine. Jesus' goal for us isn't just for us to live life for ourselves. He says, I want you to understand you're a part of a bigger picture. And the question is, do we understand that? Yeah, I, I love the story of, of Christopher Wren, who's a famous architect. Uh, he's a guy in London. He is the one who is the architect of St. Paul's Cathedral. And there's a great story about whenever they were building St. Paul's Cathedral that he was walking among the workers. They didn't know who he was, and he would walk up to them, and he just sort of talked to them and asked them what they were doing. And he was talking to one worker. He said, no, no what is it that you're doing? And he looked back and said, well, I'm cutting stone right now. Said, okay, and he, he walked on, and he saw another worker, and he began to talk to him. And he said, now, no, what are you, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm here working. He said, I'm a tradesman. He said, I get paid five shillings for this job. And he continued on walking. He finally came into, into contact with another worker, and he asked him, he said, now, no, what is it that you're doing? He said, well, Sir Christopher Wren and I are building this cathedral, and this cathedral is going to bring glory to God. Now, that's a guy who had a different perspective than everybody else. It wasn't about him. It was about seeing the bigger picture. And there was a great article that was written by a guy named Charles Handy. And, and here's what he had to say about this story. He said, cathedrals are incredible testaments to human endeavor. He said, it's not only their grandeur or splendor, but, the, but that they took oftentimes more than 50 years to build. Those who designed them, those who first worked on them, knew for certain they would never see them finished. They knew only that they were creating something glorious which would stand for centuries long after their own names had been forgotten. He said, we may not need any more cathedrals, but what we do need is cathedral thinkers. People who can think beyond their own lifetimes. Now, living well means living beyond yourself. Living well means living beyond your own wants and desires and us as people, us as a church, realizing that as we come together in worship, as we come together to serve, we are doing those things not just to impact the lives of the people today, but praying that the lives of people in the future that we will never know will be transformed by the power of Jesus. So oftentimes, before we ever get to a place where we are able to live life well according to Jesus, sometimes we, we, have, to, we have to understand that we miss the big picture a lot of times. 
because our focus is just on us. And God's saying, listen, I, I have you here because we are here to make a difference in history. But, but another phase that we go through in learning to live well is this. Sometimes we have to learn that greatness has a cost. If we're going to be great, there's a cost that comes with it. In verse number 22, it says, But Jesus answered, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? We are able, they said to him. And he told them, You will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right and left is not mine to give. Instead, it belongs to those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten disciples heard this, they became indignant with the two brothers. Uh, a number of years ago, and I've shared with you all a lot of times, that I, I, infomercials always grab my attention, and I, I kind of get hooked into them. And uh, uh, one of them, a number of years ago, was P90X. You know, when it came out, I sat there, and I'd watch, I mean, I watched every one of those things. You know, they're like 30-minute infomercials. And I would look at these guys, you know, they'd, you know, they'd start out, and, and then, you know, they'd have what we'd call dad bods. And then by the end of the infomercial, you're like, oh, that guy's like a Greek god. And I'd watch it, and I was like, man, i got to get this thing. And so I would talk, and Emily, you know, Emily got tired of me talking. Emily actually bought it for me. I don't know if it was to shut me up or because she wished she was married to somebody different. And so I got P90X. And let me tell you something. It was great. It was great for three days. And then after three days, I was like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do this. Now, I wanted to have the body I saw on TV. But let me tell you something. I didn't want to do the work. You know, I just was like, hey, you know, if you can just give me that little machine that shakes my stomach and then I have six-pack, I'll take that. But, I, but I, it was, I, I just didn't want to do the work. By the way, just as a side note, if you get it, the yoga is awful on that thing. It will kill you. But in a sense, that, that's, what James and, that's what James and John wanted. They, they wanted the recognition. They wanted the, they wanted the position, but they did not want the work and the cost that came with it. That's what, Jesus gave them a reality check in verse number tw- 22. He started off by telling them, he said, you don't have a clue. When you say, I want to sit at your left and your right, you have no idea what you're asking for. You know, they, they wanted to be great, but Jesus said, you don't understand the cost that comes with it. So that's why Jesus asked them, he said, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Now, what cup's he talking about? It's a cup of suffering. Remember, Jesus had just told them, I am going to the cross. So I'm going to die on the cross. Now, are you willing to pay that kind of a cost in order to see the greatness of God? Now, why would he do that? Because he wanted them to understand that when you follow him, guys, if we're going to follow Jesus, there's a cost involved. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You know, having a relationship with Jesus, experiencing the fullness of life with Jesus requires you and me to surrender ourselves to the leadership of Jesus. Finding greatness in Christ means I am willing to relinquish my ambitions and put them under the leadership of Christ. You know, Jesus summed it up well for us in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 41. He said, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You will love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Now that doesn't sound bad. i got to love God and love people. I can do that. But if you really are going to do that, it's costly. It will cost you yourself to do that. Do you read through Scripture? 
Jesus said to do this, he, he said it, it means putting others first. So to live like this means to serve others first. It means to put yourself under God's leadership, desires, and ambitions, and to put yours aside. There is a cost that comes with living for God. Now, if I, I sit there in my, in my human terms, I think, I say, if I really do that, then that means I'm going to lose out. If I put others first, then that means that I miss out. Now, Jesus told James and John, he said, you will indeed drink the cup that I'm about to drink. If you read on in Scripture, when you get to Acts chapter 12, the very first martyr for the faith was James. King Herod had his head cut off. If you continue to read on, you will see that John, he drank the cup of suffering. He ended up on this isle called Patmos in exile for the rest of his life. Now, on the surface, you think that that's what happens if I live for God? I'm going to lose my head? I'm going to be exiled for the rest of my life? Now, that, that is looking at things from a human perspective. But if you look at things from God's perspective, the way their lives turned out is very different. From God's perspective, you can look at James and say, James was to learn that Jesus just wasn't worth living for. He was worth dying for. When, when you look at John, you can say John ended up in exile, but then you look at the words that John wrote in Scripture that have transformed the lives of countless numbers of people. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. 1 John 4.8, God is love. 1 John 1, 1.9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Guys, let me tell you something. Greatness carries with it cost. If we're going to live lives of greatness, there's a cost that comes with it. And Jesus said, I want you to understand there's a cost. It's true in every area of life. If you're going to be great at something, there's a cost. You know, you may not uh, may not know this, but I, I have, I've had a guitar in my house for years. And there's about three chords that I can play on the guitar. That's all you need, three chords. Now, when I first, I remember Emily bought me a guitar when we were in college. And so I got that guitar, and I remember the first time I played, if any of y'all ever, if you play the guitar, you know that when you first start playing, man, those little strings on that thing, they kill your fingers. And your fingers get really sore. But if you continue to play, what happens is you begin to develop calluses on your fingers, and it doesn't hurt to play anymore. And so you can play, and what happens is because of that, you're able to play music. Well, in, in a similar sense, if, if you decide that you are going to take up living for Jesus, at the beginning, it's going to make you sore. I mean, whenever you say, I'm going to live for others, I'm going to put others before myself, I'm going to follow the ambitions of Jesus instead of myself, man, it is very difficult. There is soreness that comes with that. But whenever you learn how to choke down your feelings of ambition and desire and begin to seek after the things of God, after a period of time, it becomes easier and easier. Before long, you are able to play in your life beautiful music for God. Now, before we understand how to live a life well, a lot of times the phase we have to go through is we, we begin to understand we're missing out on the big picture. Another phase we move through is we have to understand that, that greatness carries with it a cost. But here's the last thing. And that is this, that discovering that to serve is to be great. If you want to be great, it involves you and me being a people who serve. Verse 25 
says, but Jesus called them over. This is the, two, the other ten disciples got mad at the brothers when they found out. They were saying, hey, Jesus, make us the most important disciples. They got mad. Jesus said, y'all come over here. We're going to have a talk. It says, but Jesus called them over and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them, and the men of high position exercise power over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As you go through the New Testament, you read about the teachings of Jesus. You will see that oftentimes the teachings of Jesus, they are counterintuitive to everything that we think and naturally want to do. I mean, for, for example, we're told, Jesus told us in Matthew 16, 25 and 26, he said, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. That's weird. You will save your life. Jesus says you need to lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me, Jesus says, then you will find it. What will it benefit a man if he gains the whole world, yet loses his life? Or, or what will a man give in exchange for his life? Now, now what Jesus tells us here is, Jesus says, if you want to be great, he says, you know how you be great? serve. You want to be great? You become a servant. Now, to me, I look at that, that, that doesn't make any sense. That's not how the world operates. Verse 25 shares with us how the world operates. He says, the Gentiles, when they have power, they lord it over others. That, that word, when it says lording it over, it means to be a tyrant over other people. When, when you have power, what do you do? You exercise that power. You let people know, I'm in charge. You, you beat people down. You let them know they are here in order to serve you. Now, I'll just be honest with you. I look at that and I think, well, that makes sense. Well, what's the point of having power if you don't use it? You know, what, what's the point of having power if you, don't, if you don't let people know that you are strong? But Jesus says, ah, oh, that's not the way we operate. If you're a follower of God, that's not what it means to be great. He says you are great when you serve. There's a theologian named Linsky, R.C.H. Linsky. He says, God's great men are not sitting on top of lesser men, but bearing lesser men on their backs. The word servant referred to one who does menial labor. That's interesting to me. Because Jesus says, those who are greatest in his kingdom are those who are servants. Those who are slaves. Jesus upped the ante whenever he said, whoever wants to be first must first of all be your slave. Now, now what's he talking about here? Now, well, Jesus is letting us know that when you follow after Jesus, you have given up your life to him. You now belong to him. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Romans 14.8 gives us a great reminder of Christians and what our position is. It says, if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Greatness, if we're going to be great, it is all about service. It's all about serving others. I, I love the fact that Jesus never calls us to do something that he himself is not willing to do. Verse number 28, Jesus said, I have not come to be served. Isn't that interesting? Jesus said, I did not come to this world for you to serve me. 
He said, I have come in order to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Want to be great? Serve. Serve others in the name of Jesus. D.L. Moody was a famous preacher in the late um, 1800s. He was sort of a precursor to Billy Graham. He was the Billy Graham of his day. And uh, people from all over the world, you know, especially pastors, wanted to hear him speak. And he did a conference in New York. And all these pastors from Europe came over to hear him speak. And they stayed at this one hotel in particular. And after the conference was over, the pastors went back to the rooms. And as was the custom in Europe, they would take their shoes off. They would set them outside of their door because, they, they, uh, because the hotel staff would come, pick up their shoes, and they would polish them for the next morning. Well, that happened in Europe. does not happen in America. Uh, if you don't believe me, just try that next time you get to a hotel, and you will not have shoes the next morning. So he said, uh, Moody actually went to the hotel. He was staying there, and when he was walking down the hall, he saw all these shoes out in the hallway. And he realized what was going on. He says, these guys think their shoes are going to be polished in the morning. They're not going to be polished. And so Moody didn't want them to be embarrassed. So Moody, the guy who's speaking at the conference, he gathered up all the shoes himself. He went into his room, and he polished every shoe for the pastor's. And then he went and he put them outside their doors again. He didn't tell anybody. That's what he did. And I thought, you know, if you want to know the secret of a, of a guy like that to me, a, a guy like that, why was he great? Well, it wasn't just because he was a great speaker, a great preacher. He was a servant. He was a man who, who understood that if I'm going to live a great life, it means that I am called to serve. I really believe this. I believe there is nothing more powerful in the testimony of a Christian and in the testimony of a church than when we serve in the name of Jesus, even more so than even speaking in the name of Jesus. Now, I, I, I believe that we have a calling to speak in the name of Jesus. Let me tell you something, though. Your words mean more when there's action behind your words. That's why Jesus said, if you're going to be great, you serve. Now, we're to share with people, but if we're going to see a difference made in lives, we serve people. Now, now what does it mean to be great? You know, where do we start as a church in doing big things? And that's our theme for the year. I believe we start by serving. And so today, after the second service, just as an example of it, just sort of to kick it off, that's why we're going to go out and we're going to go into our community and we're going to serve. Now, why are we doing those things? Because we want people to see Jesus through what we do. And I really believe that when people see what we do, they will be drawn to why we are doing it. Why are we doing it? We are doing it in the name of Jesus. So my, my hope for you today is as we go out today to serve, that you will pray today, say, God, may people, may people see Jesus today. Lord, I pray that as we serve, that you will cause fruit to be born by your people going out and ministering in your name. As we go into neighborhoods that are not even completely built yet, God, may you take the prayers that we offer up for the people who are going to be moving into these areas. God, may, may those prayers live on beyond this day. And in the lives of the people who are going to move into these places, may they sense power and the love of Jesus through his people. What does it take for us to be great? Well, I think sometimes there's just some phases we have to go, go through. 
And I think, first of all, we have to recognize a lot of times we miss the big picture, thinking that life is about, it's about us. Like, guys, life's not about me. Not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus working in your life to be a vessel that he moves through so that people can see that there is a God in heaven who loves them. Why are we here? We are here to see big things happen. And big things only happen Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your words today. I thank you, Jesus, that, that you teach us that you teach us a lesson. To be great means that we are to be a people of service. A people who serve in the name of Jesus. A people who are serving for a reason. Lord, we are serving because we want people to know that they are valuable in the eyes of God. And Lord, I pray that as we serve, it will open up, it will open up doors for us to be able to share with them the message of Jesus Christ who came into this world who lived, who died, and who rose from the grave, that we might be able to experience forgiveness and wholeness and life eternal. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.